Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. All right. I know we're not a very religious crowd, but if I were, if I were to say to you, he is risen. Hey, the seminary graduate leads us in the, you know, response. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's sort of the traditional Easter call and response phrase. Today is Easter, of course. For those of you who didn't hear, we had our own little resurrection experience here this weekend. Janelle and I, as we often do, were here yesterday doing some work on the building. We're always doing work on the building. It is nearly 100 years old. It's the new building, but it's nearly 100 years old. And yesterday we were doing some work on the building and uh, uh, let's just say that um, we had an electrical problem. We shorted out half the building yesterday while we were working on it, uh, which meant that nothing on this side of the building worked. And so uh, I crawled uh, all over the attic in this building trying to chase that short down. I am not an electrician, um, so quickly ran into the limits of my abilities, called six electricians who were all like, it's Saturday, man, we're not coming. Uh, and then Janelle in the, was in the back alley, no joke, and she ran into a neighbor and happened to tell the neighbor what was going on. And he said, I have a, uh, you know, here's somebody, I have a good friend named Ulysses. Ulysses came yesterday. He tracked down the problem. He said, good news. I know the problem. Bad news. I can't fix it for you until Monday because you can't get this part uh, on a Saturday. You know, it's a very unusual. Basically, we blew a fuse in the main breaker. And... Uh, then last night he texted us and said, I found it on Amazon, I've ordered it, and by the magic of Jeff Bezos, it's going to be here tomorrow morning between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. If we get it in time, I'll bring it. So right before you all got here, Ulysses showed up and he fixed our electricity. So that was our... So the building was resurrected yesterday. Hopefully I don't over-spiritualize that, but uh, we're going to take a look at a resurrection story today. Uh, I'm going to share some things with you that I've noticed about this story that might, uh, that might hopefully inspire some of you and um, might bother some of you. If you're new here, that's just typical Oceanside Sanctuary experience. So before we do that, would you just pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to celebrate resurrection. We ask that as we visit this text, as we hear these words, as we lift our voices, as we raise our prayers to you, as we celebrate what it means to organize our lives around the death and resurrection of Christ, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that we'd see the world differently, that we'd live in it differently, that our relationships would be reborn. Short God, we ask for you to bring us the life of your resurrection today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10 is what we're going to take a look at today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, we'll make sure it's up on the screen. It says, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he's been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message to you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him. They took hold of his feet. They worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I don't know how you can read this passage and just not notice that right at the beginning, there are two women who feature prominently in this story. We see, in fact, two Marys here. One of them is Mary Magdalene, and the other one is the other Mary, whatever that means. The other Mary. And what we notice is, of course, that this is sort of a spillover from a previous text. It appears as though there were women around Jesus all the time. In Matthew 27, 55, we learn many women were also there looking on from a distance. This is at the crucifixion. We have heard over and over again that when Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, that Jesus' followers scattered, dispersed, fled, denied him. But 27.55 says many women were also there looking on from a distance. And they had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. They weren't just there with him. They weren't just onlookers. They weren't just sticking with him. No, they were his followers and they provided for him. And among them were Mary Magdalene. There's that Mary again. And Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So there are many women there. And apparently this is the context. And we hear this story Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were with Jesus. So this other Mary mystery comes into focus. She's not Mary Magdalene because she's mentioned by name. She's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. She also is always mentioned by name. Instead, she is very likely Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And so the other Mary is sort of a reference to that earlier reference to her. She is likely then Mary, mother of James, who is also the wife of Clopas. James, of course, is one of Jesus's disciples. So this other Mary, this other woman who has attended to Jesus at his resurrection is now here seeing Jesus along with Mary Magdalene for the first time, the resurrected Jesus. She is not only a follower of Jesus, not only somebody who helped provide for Jesus, but she is the mother of one of Jesus' closest disciples, James. She's also, we've learned, the wife of Clopas, who 
turns out to be the brother-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, are you with me? I know. There should be like a diagram, right? She's the mother of one of Jesus' closest disciples, James. She is the wife of Clopas, who is also the brother-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This means that she is Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister. The other Mary is Jesus' auntie. She's one of Jesus' closest family members. And in this way, she is front and center for everything Jesus has experienced. She has been there through all of it. She's seen him grow up. She's seen him learn how to become the follower of God that he is. She's seen him become a celebrity in his own land, a Messiah, a rabbi who speaks words of liberation and kindness, who brings healing to people who are sick, who centers those who have been ostracized and marginalized in the community. Surely all of these things would have concerned and alarmed her. And then a kind of energy, a kind of holy trajectory begins to form. Jesus gains followers. The nation of Israel suddenly adopts an incredible hope that this might be the Messiah who is promised. And there is Mary, his aunt, wondering what all of this means. And then Jesus is, of course, finally arrested accused of crimes he did not commit, scapegoated by that entire nation and instead thrown to Pontius Pilate and sentenced to death. And as all of Jesus' disciples flee from him and fail him and deny him, there are the Marys, his mother, Mary Magdalene, and this other Mary, his aunt, with him through all of it standing at the cross, watching him suffer and die. And here she is again with Mary Magdalene, showing up even after all of this, showing up to attend to Jesus's body. This is a woman who is deeply committed, concerned, and in love with this person whom she is still caring for, even after his death. These Marys, I can't help but notice, represent the caricature of women as seen through the eyes of men. Mary Magdalene has spent most of the last 2,000 years maligned as a prostitute, even though there is no mention of her as a prostitute. His Aunt Mary is simply erased, dismissed, not seen. These are the stereotypical fates of women in a world ruled by men. In this resurrection story, I would like to suggest to you that Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10 is a kind of reversal of the Genesis 3 narrative, where Eve is deceived by a serpent and is later maligned for causing the fall of man. Here we see a reversal of that story. Instead of a garden, we have a graveyard. 
Instead of a tree of knowledge that one must avoid or risk death, we have a tomb that everyone must enter in order to find life. Instead of a serpent lying to the first Eve, we have an angel speaking truth to Mary Magdalene and Mary, the aunt of Jesus. The second Eve, together, representing a new future for women. Instead of delivering a deceitful message that results in the fall of humanity, what we have here is a message of good news that is entrusted to these Marys. Instead of fear and death being birthed in the garden, we have fear and death being conquered in the graveyard. And when God wants to deliver this message of liberation, this liberation from fear, this reality of resurrection, He comes first to women. This is not an accident. People wrote this story with intention. If you believe, as I do, that these words are inspired, in fact, by God, then I think it's true to say that this is an intention that we find in the heart of God themselves. When God wants to deliver a message of liberation, God came first to women. It was women who provided for Jesus' ministry. It was women who remained with him at the cross in the midst of his suffering. It was women who were buried and cared for his body. It was women who visited him at the tomb. It was women who first saw his resurrected body. It was women he first entrusted the gospel to. I know. This is not the Easter sermon you were expecting. You may be wondering to yourself, where? Jason, is the story of how my sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Where is my assurance of personal forgiveness so that I am not condemned to an eternity of torture at the hands of a God who was forced by divine justice to kill his own son for my lack of purity? Where? Friends, might I suggest that we in the church have been drinking milk for far too long. It's time to grow up, chew on some solid food. The resurrection is far bigger than our personal guilt. Amen. The death and resurrection of God at the hands of humanity is the story of cosmic redemption. It's the story of flipping tables and all the injustices of the world, the systemic sins of this life, and this, of course, includes reckoning with our personal failings. I have sins. You have sins. We all have failings. We have impure thoughts. We make mistakes. Sometimes the terrible things we do aren't mistakes. They're expressions of our own dysfunction and our own trauma and our own fear. We spent the last six weeks talking about this. How we remake God in the image of our own fears, our own traumas, our own pathologies, and erect a kind of toxic Jesus that leads us into further toxicity and dysfunction. But the bigger problem is how we baptize that dysfunction 
into systems that crush and oppress other people in this world. We all must reckon with our sins. But after that, from there, our work is not done. From there, resurrection entails reordering every family, every workplace, every society in which we have a stake in a way that utterly rejects the myth of redemptive violence and embraces grace. Grace. That life is about love, not fear. This may be the greatest irony of life, that most of the sins that we commit, personal and systemic, are a result of our inability to overcome a fear of love. But God calls us to risk living lives of love and vulnerability with each other that expose us to harm and hurt. That's life. Life is to let go of the pathological impulse to control other people, to protect yourself. That's a kind of death. And to experience the animating power and, of love and grace is a kind of resurrection. That is what this story is about. It's my crazy sort of impulse today that that reordering of our world must begin where the disordering began. That's Genesis 3. By utterly rejecting the blaming, marginalization, and erasure of women, we begin the work of resurrection. As the American Jewish poet and activist Emma Lazarus said, until we are all free, we are none of us free. Listen, hear me. Disagree later. Complain about me uh, over breakfast at, you know, uh, swamis. <laughs> but let me say this as clearly as I can. There is no full expression of resurrection for men until there is full expression of resurrection for women. There is no full resurrection for queer folk, black folk, brown folk, Pacific Islander folk, Asian folks, or Oceanic folks until there is full resurrection for women. And why is that? Because misogyny, the denigration, hatred, and erasure of women is the original form of bigotry. It's right there in Genesis 3. And it remains, to this day, bigotry's most animating spirit. We have little tolerance for women to be women. And there is no place where that is more conspicuously true and perpetuated unjustly than in buildings that look just like this. Amen. And so I say to you today, because Christ is risen, we can say that she is risen. She is risen indeed. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the way that 
this amazing story of the death and resurrection of Christ challenges all the ways that we have put our sins to work in the world to objectify and to marginalize, to conquer and to secure ourselves. All the ways that we use threats of violence and violence to order our world in response to our fears. And we confess to you today, God, that we have done that in so many creative ways, but one of the ways that we have continued to do it is by not allowing women to be themselves. We've kept them from leadership. We have kept them from honor. We have kept them from living into their own full selves and we've often done it in your name. So our prayer today, God, is that you would resurrect us, that you give us the courage to reorder every bit of our lives around the radical message of grace at the heart of your death and resurrection. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Wow, thank you, Joey. Thank you, team. That was amazing. In addition to being here on a Sunday morning, we want to give you some opportunities to connect and be involved in some other things. So let me give those to you really quick. First of all, coming up this Tuesday, it's the start. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> Hit those notes all morning long. Thanks, Joey. In addition to, uh, to Tuesday night, let me go back. Tuesday night, if you're tired of people using the Bible to justify racism, misogyny, and homophobia, so are we. And so we're going to give you some great opportunities to learn how to read the Bible in a different way. And that starts this Tuesday night. The great thing about this is it's six weeks long via the Zoom. So you can do it right from your house. You can learn how to read the Bible in an intelligent, faithful, and radically inclusive perspective. We'd love to give you some opportunities to volunteer at the Oceanside Sanctuary. There are four of them, and I'm going to try to remember all of them. First of all, if you would... Love to be part of our welcome team. That's as simple as being out front. If you get up early and you can be here on time, we'd love for you to be out there and just welcome people, say hello to people. If you're interested in being on the welcome team, you can see Alex. Alex is waving at everybody right there. Number two, if you want to be part of our slide team, that's just a person who loves to just sit in the back, help put up the worship lyrics, help transition slides while Jason is up here speaking. You can see Alex again. If you missed Alex waving, he's waving at you again. <laughs> just want to see Alex wave all morning long. Uh, the third thing is, as you saw this morning, there was about 6,000 kids that exited the sanctuary, which is pretty fantastic. <laughs> see Janelle. She would love to chat with you more about being part of the kids' ministry here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And the fourth one, let me find it. What was the fourth one, Alex? <sighs> if you want to be up here on stage with Joey and this team, go see Joey. Wait, where's the 
Joe, you don't have to wave. Only Alex has to wave this morning. Here's the great thing about being part of all four of those opportunities here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Number one, just gives this opportunity and this space a place to grow and more people to be ministered to and loved as they come in. And it's only one Sunday a month, okay? So just think about that. Talk about that with your family. Even our welcome team can be a family of people out there welcoming people on their way in. Uh, this morning, right after we are done, there are going to be more Easter fun activities. So there's donuts, there's coffee out front, there's a place to hang out and sit, meet new people. Uh, there's going to be a pinata for the kids to whack at, so stay clear of that area as the kids are swinging. So some fun stuff. We'd love for you to stay just for a few minutes longer. Uh, did Jason say the electrician's name was Ulysses? Is that what he said? This person sounds like a magical magician who showed up here on a Sunday morning. And unless this person is indebted to this church, it probably costs about $8,983 to bring this person out. I'm saying that because these are the types of things that we need your partnership to support this church to come on a Sunday morning and make sure there's lights on, right? You can do that online. You can drop money in the back of the box. Don't do this if this is your first time here. Just ignore what I just said. But if you've been here a while and you love to partner with these people in this community, in this church, you can get all the information at theoceansidesanctuary.com or you can ask one of the staff members. And finally, let me go back to this so I don't mess this up. Usually we end the service by me saying something or this person saying something and you responding. We're going to do something a little bit different to take us out this morning. And before we leave this place, in this space, but never the presence of God, Joey, let us sing together, amen. Joey, you want to take us out on Easter Sunday? <laughs>